Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A merciful and magnificent Father, Lord, let our cries of our heart be lifted up and come before you. Lord, give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea come before you and deliver us according to your promises found in your word that our lips would spring forth praise as you teach us your statutes, that our tongues would sing of your word and all the commandments that are right. We pray that you'd use this time through the work of the Spirit in our hearts, that we would learn more of you, that we'd be able to understand the glorious truth of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, The hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in, your, in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The sound of a broken record is seen when the needle is unable to move upon the next section of the song. The record record continues to spin and to turn, but the needle is unmoved. And over time, this repeated sound becomes merely just background noise. Once was apparent and abrupt, becomes distant and normalized. 
Or another example is our microwave likes to tell us when it's done. And it repeatedly tells us when it's done. If you do not open the door, it continues to beep until you open the door. And what happens in our house is you hear the first beep, and over time the beep continues, but it becomes dull in our noisy household. And it just becomes a part of the noise that echoes in the background. Now this is not what is happening in the story of Exodus. These nine great signs and wonders are not merely just stuck on repeat, but they progress. And as they progress, they progressively get worse. This is not a broken record, although there is repetition. There's not equal levels of severity. There is repetition as if there is a melody that is playing throughout all of this, that repeats, that echoes, speaking of God's power, God's preservation, God's punishment, God's purpose. And the same melody is sung throughout all of these signs and wonders. But every time this chorus is sung, more instruments are added. The first plague begins and a piano plays a simple melody. But each time more instruments, more vocals are added to this glorious song. Each time becoming louder than the last. So in the end, it's not that you have become accustomed or climatized to what is happening. But you notice this melody loud and clear, boldly proclaiming God's power, God's preservation, God's punishment, God's purpose. And in today's passage, we see the exact same thing as it, it ramps up, it intensifies. We see that repetition throughout what we've seen before in the former plagues but to a whole new level. We see God show His power and judgment in the intensifying signs, in the hardening of hearts, and in the setting of times. The first thing that we see is God shows His power and judgment by intensifying signs. Or to put it another way, He is most powerful. It's hard really to understand the length of time which happens throughout all these signs and wonders. If you read these passages very literally, in a progression of days, the first plague of the, the water to blood takes seven days. And then with all the references of tomorrow and the early morning, all of these plagues could have happened in about 21 days, three weeks Whereas others explain that it might be a bit longer than that, maybe twice as long, 40 days. Others have explained maybe it's a year-long cycle. However, the, the timing of the plagues is not the important thing of when it happened on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whenever that might be. But it's the actual plagues themselves, these signs and wonders, that every sign and wonder is not on the same level, but over the course of these ten signs and wonders ending in the Passover, every time they get worse. 
Moses, uh, the Lord tells Moses in Exodus chapter 7, verse 3, that he would multiply these signs and wonders. This same word which is used of Adam and Eve multiplying and filling the earth, the same word which is used of Abraham of multiplying his descendants to be as numerous as the stars or the sand on the seashore, that here God is going to multiply these signs to intensify these signs. We see that here in this passage previously, The magicians had sought to be able to rival these signs by mimicking them. However, eventually they came to the ability to be able to see that they cannot, through their magical powers, replicate these signs. This has to be from the finger of God, they say in Exodus 8, verse 19. However, now it is not merely God's finger that is coming upon the Egyptians. Moses tells Pharaoh that it is through the hand of God in Exodus 9, verse 3. The Lord had told Moses, who eventually relayed to Pharaoh, that God would save his people with an outstretched arm. He moves from a finger to a hand to an arm. He goes to great lengths to be able to save his own people. And even up to this point, we must be amazed at what God has been able to do by merely just commanding, using Moses as a vessel, by lifting his staff or doing things like this. The Lord has done great and glorious things, and we're not even, we're about halfway through. These signs and wonders are exactly just that. They're signs and wonders of God's power over all of his creation. They're not natural cycles, but supernatural phenomena that have been shown these devastating effects on the land of Egypt. This land is known for being able to withstand the most severe famines. It is one of the most uh, rich areas of agriculture during this time. The many other times when people were, famine would come across the land, they would flee to Egypt. But yet the Lord is able to bring them to their knees through His power. Now imagine you move to a new neighborhood and you've heard great things about this neighborhood. And then finally, you you turn on the faucet one day, and out comes, instead of water, it's blood. And you think, well, this isn't good. Finally, the blood stops. There's a horrible smell. You don't know where it's coming from. And then you wake up the next morning, and your house is filled with frogs. And then after the frogs come gnats, and then after the gnats flies. Now, all that you'd heard about this neighborhood... It was great, tremendous. But at some point, you're going to leave. You're going to say, this is not what it is meant to be. These signs and wonders, as they progressively get worse, but also it adds up. It's not merely that you just do one of those things. Every single time is a cross, a mark, has a cumulative effect. We also see these signs intensifying in other ways. First, 
you see the hand of God brings this very severe plague on the livestock. This word here, which is very severe, shows the intensity of this next plague. This word is used to describe Pharaoh's heavy heart. And the sixth sign and wonder of the death of Pharaoh's livestock is the first plague which actually physically affects Pharaoh and his household directly. The rest are, you know, Pharaoh would be able to get up and maybe not lose that much sleep over what's happening. Not like he has an election cycle that he's got to try and spin this for some good. The other signs have, have brought death, either the fish or the frogs. They've ruined the land. But this is the first plague where death comes to Pharaoh's personal property. We also see the signs intensifying through the magicians. Previously, they've stood before Moses and mocked him by turning their staff into a serpent. But in the third plague, they're unable to be able to mimic that sign, to be able to carry out that sign and wonder of the gnats. And when you think about it, it seems quite easy to be able to make gnats turn out of nowhere. But here, the magicians turn up again with the boils, and they're unable to stand before Moses. They go from mocking and mimicking to now having no power at all. They're, they're not mentioned anymore. Once proud and arrogant, but now they are silent. The second thing that we see is the hardening of hearts, where the Lord is above all. Just one critical aspect of this section of Exodus is the refrain where every single sign and wonder ends in the same way. The Pharaoh hardened his heart, or something similar. And every time you read, as you read through, you think about all the glorious thing that it has happened. Someone comes to you and say, tomorrow this is going to happen, and tomorrow it happens. The next day, they say, someone comes to you and say, this is going to happen, and, and guess what? Tomorrow it happens. Eventually, you're going to pick up, maybe I should listen to what this person is saying. Especially when they have devastating effects on you, your household, your, your land, your country. But every single time, as the signs intensify, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. That again, we must understand that this is not merely just that it's the same as it was before. Not just really on repeat. But every single time we see that Pharaoh continues in his stubborn ways, that he does not heed the words of the prophet. And we see it clearly what God said he would do in Exodus chapter 7. He said that, he, God, will harden Pharaoh's heart. And we'll see this clearly, why the Lord did this in the next sign and wonder. But we need to see that every single time Pharaoh knows where these signs and wonders are coming from, 
and yet he refuses to let God's people go. He continues not to heed the word of the Lord. Pharaoh continues to rebel. Now, it'd be driving down a road and hitting a speed bump. Now, if you passed one sign, you might understand how in a lapse of concentration you, you miss that sign altogether. But if you drove down a road and each time you passed a sign, speed bump ahead, caution, and every single time the sign got bigger, louder, brighter, and in the end the last sign is flashing, speed bump ahead, you can say it's merely just because of lapse of concentration. You, you deliberately are disobeying that caution of what is coming. And this is what's happening to Pharaoh. Every single time a sign and wonder is shown, he goes to Moses and asks for Moses to be able to take it away, and yet every single time he hardens his heart. It's ultimately because of your stubbornness that you hit that speed bump, and that's exactly what happens to Pharaoh. Why is this important for us? We're not holding God's people captive, oppressing them. However, the word of the Lord is filled with warnings. And no one is able to stand before the Lord on the last day and to be able to say, I didn't see any signs. I didn't know. Paul says in Romans that man is without excuse. But even to hit it closer to home, we have so many warnings in Scripture of those who profess to be believers that we need to heed what they say. I mean, you could turn to many different passages for the sake of time. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, in the first four verses, the, writer of the, the author of Hebrews urges the readers to pay close attention to what they have heard and learned about salvation through Jesus Christ. That they should not drift away from this message. If you drift away from that message, it will lead to judgment and to loss. That the message of salvation was first proclaimed by the Lord and confirmed by all those who heard Him. That God bore witness with it with signs, wonders, and various miracles. As well as distributing gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Here, the New Testament author warns New Testament believers that they need to pay close attention. They need to look out and watch for these signs, that they do not drift away from the gospel. And Pharaoh's problem in Exodus is not the plagues. His problem isn't that he doesn't know how to handle frog infestations. His problem is his heart. 
His problem is he is too stubborn to listen to God's word. His problem is he doesn't heed the command which is directly given to him. We see that he doesn't listen. He turns his back. The author of Hebrews warns New Testament believers to pay attention to what you've heard. That these signs and wonders are merely witnesses of God's word to prove God's word. The author of Hebrews continues to emphasize that that they shouldn't harden their hearts. Do you listen to God's word? Do you make up excuses? I'll do it tomorrow. That, That doesn't really apply to me now. I'm too busy for that. Do you pay attention to what God has commanded us to do? Are you drifting away? Often this is how it happens. Slowly, we drift away. You listen. The last thing that we see in this passage is the setting of times. That the Lord is in control. Last aspect that we see is God shows his judgment through the setting of times. Throughout these plagues and signs and wonders, we see the Lord is in control above all things. He tells Pharaoh what is going to happen and exactly when it is going to happen. See it throughout this section in in Exodus, but in verse 5 and 6, we read the Lord set a time, saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day? The Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but none of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Pharaoh was warned, not only many times, but specifically about every, when the time was going to happen. Again, this shows the intensity. To be able to tell some, something, someone something is going to happen, That's luck, you might say. To be able to precisely announce the time of when this thing would happen, it goes outside of the realm of a fluke or luck. But every single time we see that it happens to be able to show who is in control. Now, when Pharaoh first asked the Lord to be able to take away the frogs, he said, well, when do you want this to happen? Pharaoh responded by saying, tomorrow. And I think here the Lord is is humorously showing Pharaoh his power to be able to happen for things to happen tomorrow. Shows God's power and control of the whole situation. And we need to understand that God's judgment is not haphazard or sporadic. In our house, we seek to be constant and just in our judgment and discipline. That every day our children know exactly what is expected of them and when it is expected from them and what they expect from us. And when we understand this is ideal and that doesn't always happen. 
Our judgments can be filled with passion, good or bad. You hear this kid screaming in the other room, and you go to go and talk to them, discipline them, and on your way you stub your toe. That then affects the outcome of that discipline. You hope to be able to compose yourself. The circumstances of the day can affect our judgments. A day filled with stress or broken cars, leaking pipes, long emails, deadlines, a whole slew of other things can surmount to this stress in our lives, and, and then the children do something wrong. On the scale of 1 to 10, the, the thing that they do might be quite minuscule. But then we treat it outside of that number or that realm. However, God's judgments are not like that. God's judgments are not sporadic. We can't control the outcome, we can't control our situation. We have sin with inside of ourselves. We are responsible for how we act. And often that ends with us apologizing, asking forgiveness for our kids. But God's judgment is not haphazard or sporadic. God sets a time. And that time to come for that judgment to be administered. For Pharaoh, it was tomorrow. And every sign comes exactly when God says it is. The consistency and persuasion and precision of God's judgment is seen clearly throughout all of these signs and wonders on Egypt. And they teach us a very important lesson about the nature of God's ultimate judgment. In the same way that God foretold the plagues to Pharaoh, setting specific times for their occurrence. He has also set a time in history of the great day of that final judgment when Christ returns. Just as the plagues were not random but had a purpose, serving as both warnings but also as acts of judgment, the final judgment will be purposeful and a deliberate act of God. It will be a day when all accounts will be settled, and God's justice will prevail without fail. And this should remind us that God is a God of order and intention, that His judgments are not subject to human emotion fluctuations, unlike ours. God's judgment is perfectly righteous and constant. That we know what is coming in Exodus, the impending final judgment. That we need to heed the warnings, seek His grace and mercy. The glorious truth is that if you are a true believer, you know when that judgment day has come. It's not a day in the future. It's a day that has occurred in the past. When Christ 
bore your judgment and your sin, your hard heart on the cross. He, the full wrath of God, was poured out on His Son. That day was not a haphazard, sporadic day. The apostles in Acts chapter 4 said this is all part of God's definite plan. The question is, which day of judgment do you look to? Which day of judgment is the day where you will be judged? The very last day? Where you stand before the Lord and say, all of my, here's all of the sins that I've done. What do I owe? Where you stand before the Lord on that day and say, here's all the sins that I've done, but they've been paid in full when Christ bore that judgment upon himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise as we read through these signs and wonders that we do indeed see of your great power. Lord, your sovereignty over the details of what is going to happen. Lord, that we see the warnings of those who stand opposed to God, who harden their hearts. Lord, but we also see the hope. Lord, as we look and we know of the judgment which falls upon Christ, our Savior, who bore our sins as, our puni- as His punishment, that we might be able to be called the children of God. We pray that, Lord, we would know, heed your warnings, look unto Christ, and rest in Him. We pray in His holy and blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m for his glory and his gospel.